Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about science fiction. I'm Annalie Newitz, and I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer who obsesses quite a lot about science. And we have a very special guest this week. Hello, my name is Baruch Boros Hernandez. I am a writer, performer, comedian, sometimes playwright, drawer of penises, uh, illustrator, and uh, MC, uh, and also I'm an immigrant, so I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a everything. He is Hi. everything. <laughs> he is everything to us. And we brought Baruch here to talk to us about the theme of immigration in science fiction, which there's not really any new movies or books about this, but it's something that's on our minds. I mean, it's something that in the United States has become uh, a huge issue politically, and so we're turning to science fiction to think about it. For the purposes of this conversation, I mean, we could talk about a zillion different things. So we're just going to focus on stories that are dealing with immigrants and refugees. We're not going to talk about colonization, the 900 bazillion science fiction stories about colonization and settler colonialism, because that is a whole other episode that we will do later. So let's start out by talking about some of the ways that science fiction and fantasy deal with immigration and the immigrant experience. What are some of your favorite stories in this genre did you two ever read fables oh, oh yeah, yeah no yeah. People love i that love comic. that comic which is all about refugees because they have their own little place <laughs> in new york right where they they put an enchantment on a whole freaking building and it's like their little refugee settlement because their lands or worlds are getting destroyed by the mysterious guy who turns out to be you know spoiler uh I mean, are we allowed to do that? Yes. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. It's, it's Geppetto. <laughs> and and <laughs> he's the evil Geppetto. And it's such... I just love that Wow. So and Geppetto has, like, multinational capitalism. Like, just destroying planets left and right. Yeah, he's like, like your raw materials for yeah. my toy factory. Yeah, well, factory. I mean, he's just, he was killing people as a thing. Like, he was... Uh, and, that, and that comic book was all about these, like, fairy tale characters having to restart their lives and wheel and deal, to, just like immigrants do. It was that mm-hmm. that comic book to me was so much about the immigrant hustle and like who you who you work with, like who like what you do to survive, and who really makes it in this in this new world. Uh, I just loved it, and it, it just kept going. Like I think it, I love that it kept going, and they kept having to leave, and they kept having to like figure out how to survive, and all like the the witch the witch character. I forgot. Fraud Totem Kinder was my favorite. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, but yeah, no, she she's great. Great. I, I love that comic. One thing I wanted to bring up uh, is American Gods, oh, the, the book one, and yeah. also the TV show, which is so much about the immigrant experience and uses sort of ancestral beliefs and gods and magic as metaphors for the process of assimilation. The sort of weakening of these traditional gods reflects the assimilation of the people who have come to America and sort of taken on American values. And so there's a hundred Jesuses and they're all super powerful. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I need to watch the show. Yeah, there's actually, there's a great episode focused on immigration where there's a Mexican Jesus who's helping people get into the States and is like... Time out. Is there a Virgin of Guadalupe? I think there 
is. I can't remember. Because Actually, I can't remember either. I just feel like if that was real, like, yeah, Jesus is cool, but, like, where I'm from in Mexico, she is, like, more powerful. Oh, really? And if she were a superhero, people would be like, Jesus who? It's all about the Virgin of Guadalupe. Because ah. a lot of Mexicans believe that she is um, really the Aztec mother goddess, Guadalupe, oh. who transformed herself into uh, a Spanish... Uh, deity just to keep watching over us. The thing I would say about American gods that's interesting as compared to fables. So fables is about all of these imaginary characters coming and living in basically a ghetto or like mm-hmm. a, almost like a refugee camp. Yeah. Although it's of their they've created it themselves. They have their so little society there though. Yeah. So it's their more rules and even policing, mm-hmm. which yeah. immigrants do. So right. it's more it's more like an immigrant neighborhood than mm-hmm. it is like a refugee camp. And then the thing that's interesting in American gods is American gods is really partaking in that myth of the idea that the United States is a nation of immigrants, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, which I think has been a myth that has been contested a lot and is not necessarily true. But it's trying to say that every group that came here back to the Ice Age, you know, up to the very present, brings their own gods with them. And And those gods... Right, and those gods mm-hmm. stay with them and slowly drain away as they assimilate. So it's about wow. the people connected to their gods, and those gods are in their own little enclaves, neighborhoods, immigrant That's neighborhoods. Interesting. It's really, it is, it's dealing with the same question, but I think with fables, it's more directly looking at the immigrant experience yeah. today versus a kind of long-term sweep of <clears> like <throat> how so many different groups have come to the U.S. and brought their own beliefs with them. But it's the same same basic premise I think that fantasy allows us to tell that story yeah and another kind of story I wanted to bring up really quickly is the story of the alien who comes to earth Superman Mark and Mindy oh yeah you know third rock from the sun district nine uh the Martian really Manhattan, like that movie. brother from another planet where the hell is district nine part two what the heck district didn't he say 11. three years or whatever <laughs> ten didn't he say, like, three uh, years I'll be back? And he was like, okay, I'll be okay. Oh, the alien who left. Yeah. Was like, I mean, hopefully uh, he, he came so back mad. with some international aid and, mm-hmm. like, some kind of yeah, NGO it all that would, like... super well. Yeah. Some, what basically would happen is he went back, he got an NGO that <laughs> distributed all of their donations really badly. And there so they wound up all getting rich back on the home world Whoopsies. off the NGO. But then they were like, oh, well, but what about the refugees on Earth? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to deal with that. Yeah, sure, soon. Yeah, yeah soon. Yeah, I mean, they seem fine right now yeah. like you know it's, it's it's okay that scene though where he where they go into that ship and find all these like disheveled aliens covered in whatever alien dirt was very i'm sure triggering for a lot of immigrants because it just reminds me of those youtube videos and you know facebook videos people share of those boats full of immigrants from other countries like just desperate and like barely able to move because they're so tired. So I, 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 th- I think yeah. it's so interesting. People that inside shipping like containers. That, yeah, or stuff trucks. like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's made it into our our sci-fi stories and movies because uh, mm-hmm. that's just like a thing that happens so much. One of the things I love about District Nine is the image of that decrepit spaceship just mm-hmm. hanging in the air over yeah. Johannesburg, and yeah. it's it's just this reminder mm-hmm. that yeah, you've got a bunch of immigrants and you haven't done shit about them, mm-hmm. and their ship is just hanging there. Yeah, and just every day we look at it, and we just pretend it's not there. Like oh, mm-hmm. you know, there's just this decrepit ship full of desperate individuals that need yeah. our help, but. 
you know, whatever. Someone will deal with it. Right. <laughs> Some bureaucrat will <laughs> deal with it. And yeah. just like immigrants, there's the alien that wants to help, and there's the alien that when the guy shows up is like, fuck you. Like the first <laughs> thing out of his little bug mouth is like, why are you here? Fuck you. Right. <laughs> With like my, which my parents were very, the, um, they were very much the like, do not ever piss off white people. We'll get deported. Like, I remember just growing up and then saying, okay, you're walking to school. Remember, do not talk to anyone. Don't tell anyone where we live. If they ask you anything, just uh, say don't speak English and run away. And I just remember growing up with this strange, like, oh my God, at any moment, I'll say the wrong thing or get in trouble. And it'll, my whole family will get deported because of something I did. Uh, and just growing up with the whole, um, I know there's a lot of comics that make this joke about like people knocking on the door and no one, and like that was my house. Like the second anyone would knock on our door, my mother had trained us to like walk to the darkest part of the house and stay away from the windows. On the topic of aliens, you yes, Earth, aliens. <laughs> you know, Baruch, I feel like you had some things that you wanted to talk about with like Superman and Martian Manhunter. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And... Superman was created by two Jewish guys mm -hmm. who were immigrants, who I'm sure back then when he was created were feeling super oppressed and super new, leaving your entire like world, your entire country. That must have felt like your whole planet like died. Yeah, your planet uh, died. And also, Superman is the first place where we really get that idea of a secret identity being right. part of your superhero self. And right, it's the kind duality. Of, yeah, and it's like what you were talking about when you were a kid and you had to kind of mm -hmm. hide who you were. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of Jews, especially in the early part of the 20th century, that was the life that you right. led. You don't tell people you're Jewish. You mm -hmm. change your last name. You put on the glasses and yeah. go to work. Or you, you go to work and like, you know, whatever you're doing, if you're doing stuff to save people, if you're, if you're writing journalism, and whatever you're doing mm -hmm. like you know just keep it under wraps like try to act like a white dude try to mm -hmm. act like a goyim you know like, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of immigrants that i i feel that's the path they they want to put us on they, you you want to you want to get on this path that at the end of the path you're going to look like everyone else and have an american job and an american house and the american dream will give you a lot of prosperity and, you know, Mary Lois Lane or whatever. Uh, but, you know, you just You can like, marry a shiksa and then, yeah. you know, on your mm -hmm. nights off, you can save the world too. Hopefully. Because, yeah. But yeah, it gives you, the American quote-unquote dream gives you all these guarantees. And I think my parents had a lot of that and they definitely had like a plan. They were like, oh, no, no, you are going to UC Berkeley. Like, <laughs> you are going to do this and you will, you know, buy us each a house. And then, you know, just like things never turned out super like the way they were supposed to with Superman. They didn't turn out that way uh, for me. Another one I want to mention is Supergirl because, you know, that's mm -hmm. that's another one that is, oh, whoopsies, Krypton didn't kill everyone when it exploded. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, and um, like the Supergirl TV show has this whole thing where like they're trying to like the government, people want the government to like round up all the aliens. Oh, really? Yeah, the Supergirl TV show super blatantly talks about this. That's great. They're like, well, there's all these aliens that came to Earth now because of these various disasters. And we should round them all up and put them in camps. We oh, should, geez. like, register them. It's the usual thing. Register. And Ugh. Supergirl and the Martian Manhunter kind of have to team up to be like, look, it's okay. And the Martian Manhunter brings Oh, Martian Manhunter's in the show? He is a major, major character in the Supergirl wow. show. Yeah. He's played by an amazing actor. I really need to... I saw the first episode and it, it was in my bag, so I should go back and rewatch so it. So good. Justice League, I think, is the best canon for me. Everyone is just written so well, and it has uh, it has the best Green Lantern. And Martian Manhunter comes from uh, a planet that has been completely destroyed, and he is super alone. And he doesn't like his, his story has been very different because 
Superman, I feel like, represents either that immigrant whose uh, parents brought him here and was born here or came here as a baby mm-hmm. and doesn't have that many memories of his planet and just felt alone and then became super American. There's a lot of immigrants like that come here. Like a lot of the folks who uh, are the, the dreamers came here when they were children and now feel nothing but American. And mm-hmm. there's this yeah, they have horrible no connection to yeah, their yeah. This horrible government land. threatening yeah. to like take them back to a place they don't know anything about. And even mm-hmm. if they do, it's still not fair to grow up somewhere in a place you have no choice to come to. Um, and then just feel super like this is your home. And then someone tells you like, nope, this is your home. Actually, you're going to go back to Krypton. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good luck with learning the language. Oh, yeah. Figuring yeah, yeah, out how yeah. people live there. Yeah. Learning how to use their technology. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Like, it'll come naturally, though, to you, right? Totally, yeah. Because, you, you know, your family's from Krypton. Totally, so yeah. Probably yeah. genetic, you know, right. knowledge. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, you're a criminal. Um, but uh, <laughs> Exactly. Super, but I'll Superman, talk like, that. Right, Superman represents that, like, assimilated... Uh, immigrant who's doing like pretty well and people like that assimilated immigrant who's doing really great American things and Marshall Manhunter is just like depressed as fuck because he was an adult when he came here and all his friends are dead and his wife is dead and there's this wonderful episode in the Justice League uh, well you know nothing is as American as American Christmas and so the Justice League tower is empty you know everyone goes you know Wonder Woman's like well I guess I'll go, go hang out in Themyscira and Marshall Manhunter was like, I'm just going to stay in the watchtower and be alone. And Superman's like, no, 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 come to, come to Kansas or wherever the fuck he's from and spend Christmas with me. And it's such a cute episode where you see this Superman being a super dork about Christmas and how much he loves it and his American parents. And Martian Manhunter's like, no, I'm still depressed about my entire planet dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all these like, Customs. There's Martian Manhunter trying to like learn all the weird different customs, and he doesn't understand presents. And Superman's parents have covered them with lead paper, so he can't see and peek what the presents are. Um, but then there's a scene where he, uh, I for- anyway, everyone should watch the episode. Eventually, Martian Manhunter has like a little breakdown and remembers all the good things about where he's from, and he sees he's surrounded by friends. And, like, there's a cat in it, of course, because cats make everything better. And he starts mm-hmm. singing songs from from Mars. He starts feeling happy again, so he sings songs from Mars. And then the Kents and Superman, like, listen to him sing. It's just, like, a beautiful moment. He doesn't, like, Aww. have a breakthrough where he goes, well, I guess I love Christmas, which would have ruined the episode. It would have ruined everything, because there's still a lot of immigrants who, like, we kind of celebrate it mostly just spend time with each other, but it's not like it was back home for my family. Um, anyway, the, I love the way that at the end he doesn't go like, Christmas is great! He just is still up in his guest room and he, he doesn't hug anyone, but he just starts singing. And it's just such a beautifully written moment. Because sometimes, yeah, you don't... A lot of immigrants don't do that. They don't assimilate. We don't become this perfect American, you know, thing. We just have to be ourselves and, you know... But it's a. it sounds like it's a beautiful representation of how you can create kind of a hybrid celebration where it's yeah. like, it's not about like, oh, now I'll join your Christmas thing. It's like, yeah. I get it. Your Christmas thing is about just hanging out and being friends and right. like singing. Well, here's how I do it. Like, here's totally. some Martian songs for you. And like, yeah. maybe now we'll have a Christmas celebration that mm-hmm. has some Martian songs from now on. Yeah. And like, like the Mexicans that all we do is eat tamales and we don't eat ham during Christmas. So mm-hmm. like, we have something called Mexican Thanksgiving or immigrant Thanksgiving because we don't like really my parents were educated and they were like oh no no thanksgiving they were like oh yeah <laughs> but they did they would invite all the immigrant families they knew over 
for like a very long Mexican meal to just be thankful. So one movie I wanted to mention really quickly is the movie Sleep Dealer, which I think is super important. It's a small indie movie that came out in 2008, 2009 by Alex Rivera. There was the director and co-writer and it's basically about a future where instead of bringing Mexican labor to the United States, they plug Mexican people into machines that kind of use your brain to control robots in America. What? So that they, they're basically like, outsourcing. They want, <laughs> they don't want to bring the people. They just want to bring the labor and it's incredibly exploitative and it destroys your brain and your body starts to like decay because while you're plugged into this machine. And it's basically this metaphor for the way that immigrant laborers are exploited in this world where there's a ginormous <laughs> evil wall with wow. the US and Mexico. I need to see this movie. It's super intense and scary and creepy. And it's literally like a metaphor for exploitation of immigrant labor. That is so funny. But it's also, a, it is also about outsourcing too, because mm -hmm. that's, I feel like, especially with like multinational capitalism, that's a mm -hmm. new, a new form of, I, I know we're not talking about colonialism, <laughs> but it is a new way of having colonialism. Right? It's a way of, of exploiting labor without even allowing people to come wow. and be immigrants and, and possibly get any kind of rights in the country that they're working in. And so, yeah, there's a great novel by um, Jim Monroe called Everyone in Silico, which kind of deals with the same idea. People go into virtual reality. And if you're poor, the way that you afford to live in virtual reality is that you, while you're in VR, your body is doing labor for a corporation. Oh God, really? So your body is just kind <laughs> oh of like God. building things or like, you know, I don't know, picking up radioactive wow. trash, but like your brain is in this brain is happy in, world. Wow, Although if this. you're poor and you're and you're already kind of paying for your work that paying for your pleasure that way you also have to see ads everywhere so if you have, the more money you have the fewer ads you see in vr and the better and the better your body is treated and i feel wow. like sleep dealer is is kind of treading that same ground yeah it's like they give you a little bit of VR feeling and then but you it's get horrible. to, yeah, it's disgusting. It's, I mean, it's, it's not fun for the people and like basically they're gardening, they're gardening, they're doing people's gardens in, in the United <laughs> States and they're picking oranges in the United <laughs> States, but they're, they're still, bodies are still back in Mexico. Oh my goodness. And it has these really sarcastic infomercials about like, we don't have to bring people to use their labor anymore oh. in the United States. And like, we don't want Mexicans, but we want their labor. So question about that movie. So the society in that in the, in the U.S. in that movie know that this is happening and know. Mm -hmm. I okay. think so. But it's viewed as being more humane, right? It's okay. So that was my thing. I mean, so it's viewed as being more humane. I'm not actually sure. I mean, we should, it's cleaner, right? It because it's there's no one. Yeah. You know, you're you're sitting. I think it you're is, in this safe space. You're just controlling a robot, right? It's right. explicitly racist, though. One thing about Sleep Dealer that is true of some other kind of dystopian films is that the giant wall between the United States and Mexico there. that has like drones flying over oh, it and has like is impossible to cross. Like the movie <laughs> you were saying, the movie Logan has that. The movie mm -hmm. Monsters, Monsters. Um, which is Gareth Edwards' first film, and he went on to direct uh, Godzilla. So he it's a it's another giant monster movie. Mm -hmm. But the monsters come to Mexico, and in order to keep the monsters out of the U.S., we build a giant wall uh, because <laughs> you know it turns out that the monsters just want to mate you know they're just trying to look for love but oh. um, i know spoiler sorry it's actually <laughs> the monsters are these sort of beautiful giant jellyfish and oh. so 
the people in the United States are like, they're coming to eat us. They're going to do terrible yeah. things. Keep them in Mexico. And it's like, no, they just, they just want to find a friend. And it's like, so funny how people get so like, oh, they're coming to do this. And like, and, and that, the reason I asked that question is because like, I, I, I feel that's so interesting in the place where we live now, what people think is going to happen or what they believe is going to happen. Like, oh, the second I see, um, uh, you know, an Arab-looking person, ah, a Muslim's moving into my neighborhood and they're going to turn everything Muslim. And it's like, no, come the fuck down. They probably just want coffee. Maybe they're Christian. Maybe they're a Christian Arab person. You know, like, I just, uh -huh. I feel the, the... And it's interesting what the comic book stories or the movies choose to have the propaganda or the belief in that world be. Like, um, you know, and it's also, like, it's interesting for me the parody of... Uh, like what the propaganda and paranoia is to what is actually happening. Uh, Cause like growing up, a lot of people thought my family and I had like crossed the border and like swam through a river <laughs> and I had to like, and sometimes I would tell them like, actually no, my dad was on a, li a waiting list for 10 years. He wanted to do it legally. Uh, he got on the list like very early on and then he had to do a lot of manual labor in order to come here legally. So he, even though he was an engineer, he got on a bus, an American bus, paid for by an American company, and was bused uh, to Nebraska to do farm work. Because a lot of America, so a lot of people are like, Mexicans are coming here to take our jobs. No, you stupid fucking idiot. American companies are busing Mexicans in to do your jobs for a lot less money in exchange for the promise of coming here legally. So the only person fucking you over is rich Americans, you stupid morons. Yeah, well, it's, and that's <laughs> happening now where there's, um, because there has been a crackdown on people coming over the border, there's now all these companies, a lot of them are in like slaughterhouses yeah. and like meatpacking mm. plants where it was almost 100% immigrant labor. And now yeah. they're like, we have actually no one to to package chicken anymore oh, Lord, yeah oh, so crazy yeah uh, and it's so yeah it's, it's yeah it's weird so how did so <laughs> what kind of immigrants are the x-men like how or how well, do they fit into this story? a lot of people don't know about this but the x-men are super immigrant and way before any other team started being international or diverse the x-men like beat everybody by like you know 10 years um, because, uh, first of all, so the first X-Men team, all white, all vanilla, whatever. And then you know, they're like, oh, the comic's not selling. So then they, they redid the, they added a story where they added like a whole bunch of new X-Men. And a lot of people forget that these X-Men were from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people love Storm. They love her. They don't run, a lot of people forget, yes, she was played by Halle Berry, who's American, but Storm is an immigrant. She is from Africa. Uh, Professor X found her being worshipped as a goddess in Africa and was like, hey, you want to, uh, you know, come to the U.S. and, you know, uh, fight oppression? And she was like, yeah, sure, why not? A friend of mine is like, as soon as you start winning, people don't, like, because uh, a lot of people in my work ask me why I keep describing myself as an immigrant, why I put it in my bios a lot, why I, before I even start a show, whether I'm doing stand-up comedy or poetry, I'll remind the audience that I'm an immigrant. I'll ask the people in the audience to raise their hands who is an immigrant here. Mm -hmm. Another one, Colossus. He is an immigrant from Russia. Banshee, also an immigrant uh, from Ireland. Magneto, an immigrant as well, even though a lot of people forget. Holocaust survivor. And you know, there's a, the X-Men are super diverse. There's a lot of like Asian, uh, Latino immigrants like Sunspot. People keep forgetting to mention him. He's from Brazil. Uh, Karma from Korea. Uh, Psylocke is an immigrant twice. I don't know if y'all knew that. 
<laughs> because her first appearance, she was a British woman, <laughs> and then was in the X-Men, and then they were like, oh, um, we're going to turn her into an Asian woman, because her brain is going to be put into the body of an Asian woman from Japan, who's a ninja, by the way. So she's That's said, always helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's an immigrant twice. Um, I gotta mention these kids because I love them. The ex-babies from Mojo World. They don't get mentioned enough. Google them. They're adorable. What's funny to me is that everyone's favorite X-Man, the most popular X-Man ever, Wolverine. Wolverine, is an immigrant. And people forget. He's Canadian. So I feel like the X-Men has always been talking about this. It's always been a topic. There's so many scenes where back from you know back in the 80s or, or 70s where storm has to like learn oh they don't do that here or they do do that here the fundamental struggle that we associate with the x-men between magneto and xavier is in many ways the debate that we see happening in immigrant communities which is xavier is the guy who's like let's assimilate let's offer our you know cultural uniqueness to our you know human friends and yeah. like help them out, you know, liberal pluralism, mm -hmm. like we're all brothers and sisters. And, and then there's Magneto who's like, fuck those humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will rule them. Yeah. And, and it's not, and I'm not saying that there's a lot of immigrant <laughs> groups that are going around doing that, but, yeah. I, but I think. That, I mean, I am, but. I mean, some of us are. I mean, I'm from the chosen people. So. But I think there is that, that sense of, um, not wanting to lose your particularity, not wanting to build those bridges and, and saying mm -hmm. like, look, we've been fucked over enough. Yeah. Like, just leave us alone. We just want to mm -hmm. be here in our place with our people mm -hmm. and like, just, you know, just be mutants, yeah. you know, and not have to worry about like whatever <laughs> human needs you have. Oh, like, there's several old Mexicans that I love who like, you know, they've been here for like 40 years. They still just speak Spanish. Yeah. I know, not me, not my parents, but I'll be like, you know, you've been here 40 years, you want to learn English, and they just look at me, they're like, no. They're like, yeah. para que? No, and they're like, mm -mm. Don't, don't need, need to. to. Don't want to. Yeah, um, and I feel like that's kind of the X-Men, like, mm -hmm. most of the X-Men are in that middle ground somewhere, where they're right. not totally just like, we live to serve the President of the United States. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're not exactly, they're not the Avengers. That's right. what I've always loved about the X-Men. Another storyline that I love about the X-Men that brings up refugees a lot is the, the Genosha storyline. Genosha is a fictional island country off the coast of Africa that for years in the X-Men storyline was like one of the richest countries in the world. And everyone was like, oh, where do they get all these riches? But they were super secretive. They wouldn't let anybody travel to Genosha. They wouldn't let anybody would not let anybody leave Genosha. Uh, so the one, the first storyline is a refugee. Someone finally escapes Genosha. X Factor finds this person and he tells them the reason Genosha is so rich is because their economy is supported by slaves. They're a country that has taken their mutant population and turned them into slaves. And that the X-Men just went like, holy crap, what? Genosha is like the far extreme of the horror that immigrants might flee from or that refugees might flee from yeah. right like it's like the worst case scenario one thing i did want to mention with genosha before we, we move on is that as a kid reading these stories where there's like a press conference and a genosha refugee is saying like these things happen to us we, we get tortured i was forced into labor and the u.s going like oh that, that's terrible and the x-men going like oh i wish we could do more but there's only like 12 of us and this is an entire country with like robots and machine guns and mm -hmm. um and then later seeing the news and seeing a video of someone who escaped north korea mm -hmm. talking about all the stuff they went through just was really like shocking to me and just really mm -hmm. like oh holy crap the x-men are like <laughs> writing some really great stuff hope maybe 
inspired by that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because I'm a depressed Aquarius, I was like, oh, uh, the humans are trash. <laughs> mm-hmm. Humans are trash. Humans uh, are trash. Why yeah. do we but do these mutants, horrible things? Mutants can be trash, too, in an alternate timeline. So, so do we have time to mention time traveling X-Men? Or do I was going to actually, yeah. There's a bunch of X-Men who flee from an, a disastrous future. Disastrous future. Uh, uh, Cable in the upcoming Deadpool movie. Spoiler alert, he is the son of Cyclops and a clone of Jean Grey. Um, Another was... famous uh, time traveler is Rachel Grey. Mm-hmm. She's from a future where Cyclops and Jean Grey do have a baby, and it is a girl who's more powerful than her mom. She comes back because that future is terrible. It's just so, we don't even have time to get into that. And uh, who else? Bishop. I had to mention Bishop. Bishop, they never talk about him. He's one of the most unpopular X-Men, even though he's one of the best X-Men. Also one of the only black X-Men. He made it into the movie Days of Future Past, thank God, because you can't have a Days of Future Past without a time-traveling black X-Men. You can't. It's interesting because there is a whole, like, cluster of stories about so many temporal immigration time-based immigration (laughs) um either fleeing a horrible future and trying to fix it Mm. um there was like this incredibly silly tv series on for a while called terra nova where people in a near future are suffering from climate change and there's this very unrealistic idea that the air has become you know, there's so much carbon dioxide that people can't even breathe. Um, and and they're getting kind of climate-based diseases and stuff, which actually is realistic. So they all go back in time to the Cretaceous period when dinosaurs were ruling the planet. Oh, wow. And when, by the way, there was way more carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they just escaped one... I don't think humans could have breathed back when the dinosaurs were... I, I think they could have. I just think it, it wouldn't have been all that much yeah. better than, than this, this future... Um, problem that they had but anyway they go back in time and they do it as climate refugees basically and I think in the context of the show because it isn't very scientific this is an untouched world Mm -hmm. you know where only dinosaur poop is the the main pollution Uh Um, and then there's also um, the show that's on right now The Crossing where people are coming from the future to again escape from a war uh, and from climate change, and they've come back to our time today, which is apparently the most peaceful, wonderful time ever in history. <laughs> the which, long peace. The long peace, which I thought was hilarious because I was like, wow, it's like revisionist present. So basically they like, didn't go back to Syria is what they're saying. They went to the U.S., not Syria, yeah. but the other countries that are at war with each other right now. Yeah, exactly. No, this is the peace, long peace because anything that's happening in the U.S. is what's happening everywhere, obviously. Of course. So, of course. And this is apparently a future where the U.S still exists perhaps we've been talking about a ton of different stories a lot of x-men a lot of other stuff about just sort of how we imagine immigrants and how we imagine the immigrant experience but what do you think these stories especially stories now are telling us about what people fear about immigration or like what what kinds of you know negative images are we getting out of this one of the things you see in a lot of science fiction is this sort of trope of the other who hides among us the kind of alien or mutant or you know, person with like a disease or whatever, the person who is categorized as the other and they hide in plain sight. And often what you see in these stories, especially lately, I think is the one where some of them are actually good, some of them are friendly, and then there's the secret ones who are bad. Mm. Like there's always a few who are evil and we have to root them out. Mm. And it's sort of playing to this idea that like there are some bad immigrants that we have Mm -hmm. to stop 
and that are those are the ones we need to be scared of. Yeah. And maybe we can team up with the good immigrants or the good, you know, <laughs> aliens or mutants or yeah. whoever who are kind of hiding. That's certainly the case in The Crossing. Where, yeah. You know, where it's like a bunch of gentle, kind, mm-hmm. you know, refugees who are like, we just want to do what you're asking. And we're, mm-hmm. we have no, do you want us to live in a hovel for a couple <laughs> years? No problem. And mm-hmm. then there's the bad guy who's yeah. like embedded. What does the they, bad guy want? The bad guy wants power, right? He's, oh, he's yeah. embedded himself in the U.S. government. Oh. He's, um, he's working <clears throat> with the FBI. He's, he's, you know, he's pretending to be a person basically. Oh. So it's basically the anxiety of passing. I mm-hmm. think like what mm-hmm. happens when immigrants can just, pass as one of us like what right. do they do yeah. they'll they'll worm their way into a position of power and then they'll just will they just open the floodgates and let <laughs> any immigrant come in ever or like yeah. or will they start discriminating against those who really deserve to be here you know real yeah. citizens mm-hmm. um and that know, goes I, back to the whole like i think that wouldn't exist if we didn't have borders or maybe it would because people have been mean to each other even before the concept of borders, I'm sure. But back then it was like, I want to live in that shady part of the jungle. I'm going to kill all of them. You know, or like that part of the island has better mangoes. Let's go kill them for their mangoes. They just feel right. like are it's just delicious mangoes. Although <laughs> I think that there is a, I think that the creating borders and creating nations has given that kind of meanness a whole new yeah aspect i mean it's yeah. like it isn't the same as just like i want to be in this tree or yeah. like i want to you know live in this cave like there's something much more i mean once you have a bureaucracy and mm-hmm. a whole war machine behind yeah it, oh yeah 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 i mean like, once you give people team names it's you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like that spongebob episode where it's like okay you guys over here are group a and you guys over here are group b and before they know what they're doing someone in group b is like group b rules <laughs> Screw Group A! And they're like, wait, we don't even know what we're doing yet. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's draw a border between yeah, Group A and Group yeah. B. And you're going to have to do a lot of things if you want to cross that border. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, you know, I think it's interesting that we're going to get another Men in Black movie soon because Men oh, in really? Black has this that, thing of, like, the aliens. A lot aliens, of immigrant stuff, yeah. Yeah, the aliens who pass and the aliens who don't pass. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can live on Earth. And, like, and they all kind of talk in, like, funny accents. Like, all the aliens mm-hmm. are like, hey what are you doing? I'm yeah. just trying to sell some astrology. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. And it's, and that Men in Black is all about creating a bureaucracy for him. Oh, yeah, the yeah. bureaucracy is so oh, yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the things that's so terrifying and deadly and vicious in a lot of these stories. Like, to go back to District 9, like, part of the horror of District 9 is that is Vikas, the bureaucrat. Yes, and what we learn eventually, spoiler alert, is that they never intended to help any of these aliens. They were ripping them apart to experiment on them. And that's another thing that I was talking about, the whole, like, eventually some someone lifts the veil and you learn that the bureaucracy was there to cause harm or the immigrant thing happened because someone was causing harm. If you think about a lot of these stories, including X-Men, um, you know, one of the themes is the propaganda that's created. Right, propaganda. To, to pull yeah. the wool over people's eyes and that there yeah. is a kind of conspiracy to get people thinking, oh, the X-Men are super dangerous. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we've got to contain them. We've yeah. got to put them into camps. You know, yeah. what can we, how can we protect ourselves? And so I think, you know, in the best of these stories, you do get that sense that we, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just that people are dumb, it's that they're being deceived. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a very deliberate process of deception that is designed to prey on people's fears and prey on people's hopes, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, oh, well, 
you know, I won't be, I hope that I won't be the bad immigrant. Like I'll, if, you know, if we just repress our urge to ever speak Spanish, like maybe we will be passed over. Like, and so I think that that is a big part of what we we see happening here. And I think the word, the sort of in among these stories, like there are certainly conservative tales too. Like we see things like, I mean, even something like Pacific Rim, which I think has a beautiful kind of, um, message of togetherness and all of the mm-hmm. nations will band together mm-hmm. it's still predicated on the idea of there's a group of aliens out mm-hmm. there that are trying to come here mm-hmm. and take over the earth and we have to not only rip apart the monsters they're sending but go through this like weird vaginal thing <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> um, and go to their world and destroy their world yeah. but i think that like in a nutshell sums up exactly like this fear of immigration is that yeah. somehow these immigrants who are actually coming here in real life as vulnerable people who are, as you were saying, losing their whole culture, leaving their families, leaving their wealth behind in a lot of cases, leaving their property behind and coming here. And they're like, basically like, okay, we don't have anything, but Mm -hmm. in our imagination, they are giant monsters Mm -hmm. who are eating our cities and breaking down walls and Mm -hmm. we better build some giant robots to fight them, (laughs) you know? And it is just imagination. It's just, I mean, I run Donde Esta Mi Gente, which is a literary uh, performance series uh, for Latinos or Latinx people. And I say that sometimes at the beginning of every show. Hi, we're here to take your jobs. But it's <laughs> it's a like a, it's a total joke. My parents are all in their late 60s, or both in their late 60s. They both have jobs. Like, my father's still a janitor. Like, no one, like, he didn't take that from, like, some educated, you know, white guy who desperately needed a job. He's, you know, he's just, he's a janitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now we have to fear that AI is taking our jobs, too. Like, uh uh-oh, AI, immigrants. Part of what interests me about a lot of the stories that we've seen in the last, like, five years or so about immigrants and refugees is, along with this idea of... Can we tell the good ones from the bad ones? Yeah. Can we like sort them into two batches and deal with them accordingly? There is this thing of this unquestioned endorsement of assimilation and that the good ones are the ones who are going to assimilate. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to, you know, do all play by the rules, but also kind of lose whatever makes them different. And also those are the ones who aren't going to ever question that propaganda that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Who will never say like, actually, you guys, this is propaganda. Like this isn't what the immigrant experience is like. They're just like, okay, we'll just mm-hmm. go along. Mm-hmm. On the tip of assimilation, as a huge Doctor Who fan, I always have to bring in Doctor Who. I'm yeah, sorry. Doctor Who. So Doctor Who has these shape-changing aliens called the Zygons, who are basically just like weird squid people and in their earlier appearances they just want to take over they want to invade they're scary and then at some point in the last like five years or so it was changed to the zygons just want to come and live among us in peace and the doctor basically says no we're not going to kill the zygons we are going to let them live here as long as they promise to look exactly like humans using their shape-shifting powers and even you know forget that they used to be aliens maybe and so there's several episodes where we kind of there's trouble because some of the Zygons start being outed hmm. and we have to like, they have to go back to being secret and we have to forget that there are aliens living among us. And it's never like, why can't the Zygons just live among, why can't Zygons be Zygons? Let <laughs> <laughs> the Zygons be Zygons. But it's never that. It's always That's like, beautiful. they can live here as long as they use their shape-shifting powers only to look exactly like humans. Hmm. That's I, a thing. That's the whole like, like the appropriation debate now is like, 
you know, like, oh, well, you know, you wearing a suit is appropriation. It's like, no, bitch, me wearing a suit was just me trying to survive in your world. <laughs> it's yeah. all about you know, power. It's all about power and, like, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, and it's, I love these young neo-immigrants that are coming here and not assimilating. I just think that's really great. Like, I mean, don't be a dick, but also, like, they're not dressing like Americans. They're, you know, they're, they're, co- they're trying to cover, like, I think the queer community is also one who has never really, I mean, yes, they, there's a ton that try, but there's a ton that don't, who are like, I'm going to cover myself with tattoos, I'm going to shave half of my head, uh, I'm going to only work in places where I can have pink hair or purple hair, uh, and I really, I love that, and I love the immigrants that aren't trying to do that. One of the things I really like about Jeff Vandermeer's most recent novel, Born, is that it's about uh, climate refugees in the future, and it's a bunch of people who've come to a Caribbean island, and this is an island where uh, a biotech company has been creating creatures that are half human, half other stuff. Mm. Or maybe partly they're alien, or maybe, we don't know, it's, it's unclear, it's very delightful, but there's a bunch of immigrants that have come from many places, and they have to survive. There's been some kind of collapse where, like, the island is now overrun by, like, a giant bear who's, like, oppressing everyone. And, yeah, and little bears are that are eating me? people. <laughs> Even bigger. <laughs> this is a bear that's the size of, like, a skyscraper. Nice. So, no, he actually is, is great. It's really, um, the bear is really interesting. Um, and so, and the two main characters are basically human. They're kind of augmented, and they make friends with a blob. And the blob becomes kind of a human, and they they form kind of a family with this biotech blob. And the whole feeling of the story is that there's a bunch of life forms out there that can't assimilate, that are human equivalent, but radically not human. Because there's also a lot of animals, like rabbits, that have been kind of weirdly uplifted and seem to have Mm -hmm. their own civil, like bunny civilization. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, and so I love that we're sort of left. You know, I'm not going to give away spoilers for the end. I mean, some of the characters don't meet a great ending. But the whole point is that as we approach uh, the future, we need to be thinking about how do we how do we reach a kind of peace with creatures or other people who just seem so different from us that we can't Mm -hmm. even we don't even think of them as human. But we finally just have to make friends with them because that's what we've got. You know, we don't have anyone else. So why not make friends with a blob or like yeah. with a bunny civilization or, you know, when you're being threatened by a giant bear, yeah. you got to stick together. Stick together. Exactly. <laughs> Yay. So what for you is an example of that where you see kind of a, a happy or not a happy ending necessarily, but yeah, I mean, well, right away that makes me think about the crystal gems or the cartoon Steven universe. If you haven't, which we it. talk about what a lot, is wrong with you if you <laughs> we don't like know what it. that is. Crystal gems kind of are refugees, sort of, or war criminals. Who knows? There's a very great episode that to me was super. It just gave me all the feels. <laughs> Lapis Lazuli and Peridot uh, come from Homeworld, but they get Lapis Lazuli gets stuck there. Peridot gets stuck there, but their little place to live is like too big, and they don't know where they're gonna live. So Steven Universe is like live in this barn. Like my dad's barn is is empty, so they make it their own. And then his like crazy uncle shows up, 
who actually does own the barn and is like, why are these crazy colorful ladies in my, oh, I'm so white and straight and I'm scared of everything. And, uh. But then the whole episode is about them trying to like calm this guy down. Doesn't even live there, but he owns it. And my favorite is that Peridot's like, it's all gonna be okay, even though she's the angry one. But Lapis Lazuli, the goth one, starts raising her hands and like lifting all this water to like drown her or something. And all the Crystal Gem and Steven Universe are like, ah, no, 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 no. And so when that first episode first aired, I got mad because I thought it was Rebecca Sugar being like, be nice to your Trump supporting family during Thanksgiving. And I was like, no, fuck them. But anyway, the episode's great because they basically, like you see the immigrant Crystal Gems trying to like appease him. And they're like, look, we brought all this food that humans eat, right? Like, look at all this stuff. And, and, then, and then he's like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but eventually he gets hungry. And Steven gets hungry, and the Crystal Gems are like, uh, like, good, he stopped screaming. And they just have a meal together, which is the best part. And they just start talking like people. And even though, you know, humans are weird, you know, meat-covered skeletons, and even though Crystal Gems are, like, strange rocks, they still have, uh, they're still people. And that was why I love that episode. At the end, they just have a meal together. And I feel like that's, that's the America that I like. Just people that are super different <laughs> and are just trying to, like, Frickin' get hung and live here. And uh, and at the end, he does decide, the crazy uncle, I feel, does decide to let them stay, and they just promise they're not going to keep destroying his barn. Uh, and so I think that's I think that's how it ends. And then later remember. they take the barn into space. That, okay, gone. that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, true. I forgot about that. <laughs> they just take it into space. It's fine. But they both learn. I think... Peridot and Lapis Lazuli learn something about why he cares so much about the barn. And they go, oh, we really like the barn too. We like all these vegetables we're growing here. And he goes, oh, oh, that's cool. And he starts to like them and they start to like him. What's good about that episode is it doesn't tie it all in at the end with the bow. They don't end up best friends. Nobody hugs. I like that nobody hugs. I like uh -huh. that. Mm -hmm. um, Martian Manhunter doesn't yearn to love Christmas. Yeah, that's another great thing. That I, I mean, like about you know, that, that kind of ending. It's great. Oh, I cried at the end of that episode. It's such a beautiful episode. You have been listening to Our Opinions Are Correct, and we will be back in two weeks with another amazing episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Things. Uh, and this episode was produced at Women's Audio Mission by Veronica Simonetti. The music was provided by Chris Palmer. And we'll see you in two weeks. And our special guest was... Baruch Porras Hernandez, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and where can people find out more about you? I'm on WordPress, baruchporrashernandez.wordpress.com. Please follow me on Instagram. That's where you can find out about all of my upcoming shows, my poetry books that are getting published, and my uh, comedy performances. And I also uh, do all of my illustration, uh, and I put them, put them on there. What's your Instagram? Oh, it's just my name, uh, Baruch, P-O-R-R-A-S, Hernandez, 